All right, uh, we are in a series called uh, Kingdom Kids. If you have a Bible or some kind of technology, open up to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, I've been hearing increasing comments like, dude, how long are we going to be in the Kingdom Kids thing? We've been in chapter 1 forever. Are we going to be here forever? The answer is no, we're not going to be here forever. And yes, it is absolutely critical that we get everything that we need to and squeeze all the juice out of this identity, Christian identity orange, so to speak, in chapter 1 that we can. We teach verse by verse through the Bible here. When we're in a a book, sometimes we do, you know, topics. But when we're in a book, we teach verse by verse through the Bible. And these verses happen to be very, very dense, which means that we only get to cover one, maybe two, sometimes half of one verse in a week. But let me remind us, the things that Paul is writing in Ephesians 1 are absolutely critical to understand who we are as children of God and who God is as our Father are the foundational things that can be built on. And if you don't get the foundation right, then whatever you build on top of it is always in risk of crumbling. So if you've been a Christian for over a year, count these sermons as an opportunity to recheck your foundation and adjust as needed. We should should let the, the, the truths of this Kingdom Kids series even replace and rebuild foundations if needed. If you want to make a difference in the world, you want your life to mean something. You want to be used to partner with God. Your foundation has to be strong. It can't be shaky. That's why we keep juicing this orange of identity. This is the foundation, so to speak. But today, we're going to talk a little bit about the house that God is, is building on the foundation and maybe sip a little bit of that <laughs> orange juice that we've been juicing out of this identity stuff here. Today, we are in verse 9 of Ephesians 1. But for context— We're going to start and read back up a little bit into verse 17 so we can get this whole prayer that Paul's praying. Paul praying for the church here in Ephesus, Ephesians 1, starting in verse 17. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, this is our verse today, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. This is God's word for us. The title of this sermon is Power to the People. Let's pray. Count it as no mistake, Lord, that um, this morning our passage we're looking at is a prayer for enlightenment and that the lights in this room um, stopped working until about five minutes ago and that it is a reminder of our power and the power just stopped working in this room backstage. Uh, Lord, we... We believe, I believe you're at work this morning, and I don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. It would be pointless for us to just sit here for an hour and 45 minutes in this room in a gathering and miss what you want. And so, Lord, we ask that you would open our ears to hear and our eyes to see everything that you have for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So Paul's prayer here in verses 17 through 19 is essentially for two things, right? Number one, that the Father would send the Spirit in order to bring his people into epinosis, that is intimate, experiential, personal knowledge of him. We talked about this three weeks ago. And secondly, that the hearts of his people would be enlightened so that they would know. Billy started talking about that two weeks ago, and we're continuing that today. The second part of this Point number two here is a prayer for enlightenment, for hearts to see. Billy said it a, a couple weeks ago that, that this is literally what Paul is praying, is that hearts would be flooded with light, that a floodlight would be cast into people's hearts so that the eyes of hearts would be enlightened, that the eyes of hearts would be flooded with light, which means that this isn't a prayer for saving. This is a prayer for seeing, that the eyes of hearts would be enlightened. The eyes would be enlightened. Because when you can't see, you can't walk properly, right? A wrong perspective can skew everything. If your eyesight is off, then everything is off because your perspective and your perception is off. If your spiritual eyesight is off, then you start seeing God wrong, for instance. You start seeing who you are in God wrong. And you start seeing your purpose in life wrong. You start seeing your trials with the wrong perspective, the church with the wrong perspective. You start seeing your gifts and your success with the wrong perspective. You start seeing even the world around you with the wrong perspective. In marketing, there's this saying that says, perception is reality, which means that if we can get things to per be perceived or, be, or seem a certain way, then that will be the new acceptable reality. It's not a reality, though. It's a deception, right? It's like bolstering the record sales around uh, release date so that it appears that you sold more than you did. The truth is you've been selling it for six weeks. You just didn't release it until now. It is a perceived reality. Perception is reality, they say in the marketing world. And the enemy uses the same ploy against people. If he can skew our perception, then he can create a new perceived reality for us. And I believe that today, many of us are seeing a false perception. And the enemy loves it. He loves the false perception because a false perception means a false reality. And a false reality means that we miss everything. And it appears that this is what was happening in Ephesus. Their perception was darkened so they couldn't see properly. And so Paul is praying that the light of God would flood the eyes of their hearts so that they could begin to see again. In verses 3 through 14 of this chapter, where we spent months camped out, Paul declared the most glorious truths about who God is and about who we are in him. And now in verses 17 through 19, Paul is essentially praying that those truths of verses 3 through 14 would now become a reality in the life of the believer, that the eyes of hearts would be enlightened so that hearts could see what is already true. In our verse today, Paul is praying that the eyes of hearts would be flooded with light so that we can see, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul is praying that the eyes of hearts would be flooded with light so that we can see that there is power. And it says that this power is working toward us, literally at us and into us. It's not just out there. It is in here. And what kind of power is not out there, but right here that is coming at us and into us? The kind of power, it says, that is immeasurably great. 
Which means this is not just, just power. This is God's power. We'll see next week it's the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. This is serious power. It's the power of God. This is not some kind of power given by men for earthly purpose. This is the kind of power given by God for eternal purpose. This is power given by God for his purpose. But it's not just the power of God. It is the great power of God. But it's not just the great power of God. It is, this is the immeasurably great power of God. The phrase means the kind of greatness that exceeds normal greatness. This is supernatural power. This is the kind of power that came when the Holy Spirit fell upon the early church in Acts chapter 2 and gave them boldness to begin preaching the gospel. The kind of power that came when the Holy Spirit fell on the early church when they began to pray for people to be healed and they were. This is the kind of Holy Spirit power that drives out demons. The kind of power that raises up us Christians above the heavy, weighty circumstances of the world. This is the kind of power that delivers people from lifelong addictions and subtle compromises. The kind of power that breaks chains and sets captives free. But we often talk about that kind of power, right? That's like loud power. It's outward and it's obvious. But what about the kind of power that can deliver someone from a lifetime of religious activity and dry relationship with God? What about the kind of power that can bring someone out of decades of practicing what we would call cultural churchianity, but never really biblical Christianity? This is not only out loud, bring the house down kind of power. This is also the quiet, shake your foundations, rebuild your foundations kind of power. This is the kind of power that can pull someone out of the sinking sand of complacency and comfort and bring them onto the solid rock of faith and freedom. This is the kind of power that disrupts false foundational ideas about God and ourselves that our lives have been built on and replaces them with truth that yields abundant and fruitful life. This is power to believe every promise that Paul preached in Ephesians 3 through 14. This is the kind of power that is coming at you and into you. You are not void of power. You are full of power. You are not powerless, child of God. You are powerful. This is the reality. This is the truth. And it is a false narrative that has created a false reality that says you're weak. Your life is meaningless and you're never going to be anything. Jesus says today, you're already something. You've got my power. You've got me living inside of you and you're more powerful than you know. It's like you're sitting on an oil field with all the power you could ever need, but you're riding around on a tricycle on the surface forgetting what is right below the surface. And Paul prays not for non-believers, which is who we often think about when we think about spiritual light coming in. Not praying for non-believers. He is praying for believers to be able to see. Believers who had good Bible teaching. They had a good pastor. Paul was their pastor. He, pre he planted this church eight years before. They were doing good Christian stuff. They had good Christian community. He's talking to people like us. And he's praying that their hearts would be illuminated in order to see and just like them, we, I, you need our hearts to be illuminated today. Because let's be honest, you don't always feel like you have immeasurably great power working in you. 
power in you to walk by faith, or at least you don't live like it. At least you don't make decisions like it. And yet that is what is true. But a false perception creates a false reality. And so Paul, and so like Paul prayed for the Ephesian church 2,000 years ago, somebody needs to pray this for their neighbor, that our eyes would be opened and we would be flooded with light so that we could have the right perception of things again, so that we can see what is true again, namely that we have immeasurably great power working toward and into us. This is the power to know who you really are. The power to know who God really is. And the power to believe and appropriate all the promises, all the wonderful, deep, rich promises of Ephesians 3 through 14. This is foundational power. But there's even more than a foundation to this power. We've been, like I said, juicing this orange of identity for months. Here we get to kind of sample the juice just a little bit and remember where this is all heading. Because having a proper foundation of who God is and who we are is absolutely essential. That is the foundation. But what is the foundation for? When I drive by a lot, like a house lot, and I see a foundation laying there with no house on it for months and months, first of all, I get really bombed at the city. But second of all, I'm like, sad. Because I know that thing's only got one purpose. At least if it's a totally vacant lot, you can put some trees on it and make it pretty. But when it's just this concrete slab with footing sitting there, I'm like, I, I know what that's for. It only has one purpose. It was meant for a house to be built on it. And it's worse than having just a, a vacant lot. Church, having a right understanding about who God is and who you are is critical. That's why I've been spending so much time here on identity. It is the foundation, and you cannot be careful enough about making sure the foundation is right, but the foundation is for building on. In other words, this power has purpose. This power has purpose. Can you say with me, this power has purpose? That's right. Because power always has a purpose. And this power is an eternal power, which means that it has an eternal purpose. It is power right here connected to the glorious truths of three, uh, verses 3 through 14. But it's bigger than that even because two chapters later, in chapter 3, Paul's going to talk about this power again and show us that it's not just for the foundation. It is for the house, if you will. And the house is for the whole world. The house is for your world. Having a good foundation gives you a good footing, right? It keeps us grounded. And we get to stand on the foundation, so to speak. Foundations are for our benefit, if you will. But houses, houses aren't just for us. Houses are for the benefit of everyone around us. And in chapter 3, Paul will show us that this same power that we have in us is actually working to accomplish something beyond us. He will say in Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in you. Now to him who is able to do, right? It's speaking about accomplishing something. The power has purpose to do and the purpose is bigger than us. This is the power to save people in Ephesians 3 is what Paul's talking about. Power to change lives. Power to bring new life to people far from God and abundant life to people who are already with God. 
The purpose of the power is not just for us to intimately know Jesus and the reality of his promises. It is for us to be able to bring others into the same. Kristen, did you know that that you have power today? I know you may feel insecure, but you are powerful. Can you just turn to your neighbor and say, you're powerful? You didn't say it like you meant it. Can you just do it one more time and say it like you mean it? Say, you got power to your neighbor. Listen, some of you have been Christians for decades. You've been attending Bible studies. You've even taught Bible studies, and you still feel inadequate. You feel like, you don't have, oh, I don't have the knowledge of that person. Oh, I don't have the, the eloquence of that. I don't have the gifts or the boldness of so-and-so. And so I don't, I don't feel like I have what it takes. Listen, that is a lie, and it comes straight from the pit of hell. You have everything that you need. You have every spiritual blessing in heaven, which means you have access to everything that is your father's. You're not a sideshow. Hear this today. You are not a sideshow. You are an integral part of the body, an integral part of this body. We need you. I need you. The world needs what you have. You may feel like you don't have what you need, but you do. Maybe you can't see it. Maybe you need your your eyes of your heart to be flooded with light like the church in Ephesus so you can begin to see properly again, but you do have it. The church in Ephesus was less than 10 years old. These weren't like Christian veterans. They didn't go to seminary. They didn't have theology books. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't even have easy access to the Old Testament. And yet they had everything that they needed because they had the power of God. But they couldn't see it right here. And so Paul is praying for the eyes of the core of their being to be flooded with light so that they can see again what was already true about them, that they had immeasurably great power coming at them and into them. Don't tell me you're not experienced enough. Yes, you are. You have power. Don't tell me you're not smart enough. Yes, you are because you've got power. That you're not gifted enough. You don't have enough boldness. Yes, you are. Yes, you do. Because you have power. Don't say, I'm not eloquent enough to talk to people around me about Jesus. You don't need eloquence. What you need is power. When Paul wrote to the church in Corinth about the time that he first came and preached to them, he said, I did not come with eloquence of speech, but I came with a demonstration of the power of God's spirit. So then, if bad talking in in conjunction with the power of the spirit was good enough for the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, then it sure is heck good enough for me and you, church. Right? You don't need eloquence. What you need is power. If somebody in here today feels like, dude, I'm just, I'm just not mature enough. I'm just not old enough. I'm too young. Don't tell me that. David was too young when he killed Goliath, the giant that all the grown-ups were too afraid to fight. Don't tell me that you're too young. You're not the next generation, friends. You are this generation. Don't say that you're not old enough. And don't let people try to tell you that you're not old enough. Veterans in the faith, don't tell the young people they're not old enough. They're too irresponsible. They're not mature enough. Don't squelch what God wants to do in their lives. Young person, I'm going to say to you what Paul said to Timothy who was young. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for those older than you. What? That means that you have an example to set for, for, for the rest of us. 
You have an example to set. That means we can learn something from the young person. I don't care if you're young, you got power. And there's some grandparents in here today who think you missed your window. Abraham thought he had missed his window for God's promise to be fulfilled in his life too. But God's power was working in him when he was old and because he was old. You're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Don't waste the rest of your life investing in and being distracted by things that have no eternal value. You are here for a reason. And this season can be the most eternally fruitful season of your entire life if you'll let it. Oh, I'll just pray for the kids to do it. No, I'll, just, I'll just support them. I'll just support the young people to do it. Listen, we don't just need your prayers. We need your participation. I'll take your willingness over your wallet every day. There are a billion Benjamin Franklins on a billion $100 bills out there that anybody can give, but there's only one of you. Old people, hear me. There is only one of you. There is only one of you. You can leave your money behind to do work when you're dead, but you're still alive right now. We need your life and your money. <laughs> but we need your life. I'm just kidding. The Lord doesn't need our money, but he does want our hearts. So we should give our money too. Because our money gets wrapped around our hearts. God chose Abraham and Sarah when they were old. And listen, if you're scared, intimidated, you feel worn out, start with something small. You don't have to move to Indonesia tomorrow. Start being hospitable today. Start serving the body of Christ today. Start volunteering to serve the kids upstairs today. After we interview you, make sure that you're good. <laughs> Apply to work with the youth today. Open your home today. For Abraham and Sarah, it wasn't too late. It wasn't late at all. It was actually right on time, and they were old. It's never too late to start participating in what Jesus is already doing around you. But you're not getting any younger, right? So don't wait. Today is the day to step up. You don't need youthfulness. You've got power. In the 1960s, what was happening, there was a Man, people were not okay with a lot of what was happening. There was a lot of segregation happening. There was racism. There was the war in Vietnam. There was political, a, a political landscape that people were not okay with. And so artists like John Lennon and activists and groups like the Black Panthers began protesting with this phrase, power to the people, in order to remind the people that they could do something about it because they didn't trust the government to do what they believed was right. Now, politics aside, history aside, what you believe or not, they didn't believe the government could be trusted to do the right thing. And so they were saying, people, you have the power. You have the power. Power to the people. Go out and do something. You be the change then. You go ahead and break the change. I believe God is not saying today, give my people some power. He's saying, I already gave my people the power. Power to bring change. Somebody say, I've got the power. Hmm. Somebody say, I've got the power. There you go. It's like that CNC Music Factory song. I've got the power. Come on, somebody. Listen, did you know that you're not actually at school primarily to get a good, don't tell your parents, but you're not actually at school primarily to get a good education that leads to a successful career. God sent you there. 
Did you know, don't tell your business partner, but did you know that you didn't start that company just because you wanted to, but God sent you there? Did you know that where you are, that you have been sent there right now, that you are an ambassador for Christ, that God handpicked you in your life, in your place, in your situation. He handpicked you as an ambassador. And you need to know today that God didn't give you that gift so you could be successful. He gave you that gift so you could be influential. I know it's hard to see. I know it seems far away today. I know you may have forgotten, but let me remind us that God has not given you ability for no reason. He has given you authority for a purpose. And he hasn't given you prowess. He has given you power. And it is not earthly power for earthly purposes. This is eternal power for eternal purposes. You are not here so you can build a comfortable career that will bring temporary satisfaction and earthly wealth. You are here so that God, through your life, can begin to build houses of hope through you that will bring eternal satisfaction and spiritual wealth to those around you. That's what God has planned for you in your life. When Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, he was talking to you. He was talking to me. We are a sent people. You have been sent. And you carry in you the presence of the living God. You're powerful. And what the world needs is the presence of God because it is in the presence of God that hope starts coming, life starts coming, light starts coming. And you carry with you, in you, the presence of the living God. And there was a world out there who was in desperate need of what you have, who you have living inside of you. And somebody's got to tell them that they can be delivered from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the beloved son. But how can they believe if they have never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go tell them without being sent? But church, you have been sent. Jesus sent you, and he sent you for a purpose, and the purpose is upward, it's inward, and it's outward. And Paul is saying, remember, church, remember who God is. Remember who you are, and remember why you are here. Remember God's promises and power, and remember that those promises and power have a purpose. Remember that's literally what this word know in verse 18 means. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know. The word know, it's not the same Greek word, uh, root word as gnosis, which means experiential knowledge. That's not what it's talking about here. It's not actually talking about knowledge at all. It's talking about acknowledge. It's talking about acknowledging. To acknowledge doesn't mean that you learn something new. To acknowledge means you remember what's true. It means remember. In other words, God, help them remember what is already true. Church, don't forget what is already a reality. Four or five years after Paul pre uh, plants this or leaves this church in Ephesus, under the power of the Spirit, he's writing back to them saying, Church, don't forget. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who God is. Don't forget why you're here. You've got power, and your power has a purpose. Paul obviously had some kind of insight into what was happening in Ephesus. And I believe that it is no mistake that we, as a church, 
are right here in this section of this book right now. And I believe it's no mistake that you're sitting in those chairs right now as we read this passage of Scripture. I think that God is reading some people's mail today. And he's talking to you. He's saying, child, remember, do not forget. Paul is writing this church praying for them. But 30 years after that, Jesus will write to the same church rebuking them. And I don't want to have Jesus write me a letter 30 years from now when I could listen to Paul's letter today. Trust me, you want to read Paul's letter. You don't want to get the letter from Jesus because it's a little more harsh. But we're going to read it just so we can remember what happens. Revelation chapter 2, Jesus will write this to the Ephesian church 30 years later. I think somebody needs to hear this today. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Jesus is saying, church, I love you and I see you. You're doing some good stuff, but there's this one thing, this really big thing. You've pursued some good stuff, but you have left the best thing. You've left your first love, and unless you repent, you're going to bring destruction upon yourself. So remember from where you have fallen, he says, and return to your first love. Remember that I didn't save you so you could do stuff. I saved you so you could be with me. And then from the being with me, that place of intimacy, all the doing would come. To repent literally means to change directions. It's a nautical term that means to make an about face, to, to go in the opposite direction. And it's always for your good. When a ship would be heading into a storm that they couldn't see, somebody would say, repent! Turn around in order to keep you from destruction. And repentance in the Old Testament was always like, repent. You're a a sodomizer. You're an adulterer. You're an idolater. But in the New Testament, it is repent. You've left your first love. It is a heart thing. Remember from where your heart has fallen and return there. Repentance is not just a turning away. It is a returning to. And this is not a repentance for salvation that Jesus was calling them to, they were already saved. This is a repentance for relationship. And it's the same repentance he calls us into today. You could be only a few degrees off, but you, could tra- you travel a year only a few degrees off, and you will end up in a, a destination that is unwanted and unplanned. And today there's some here who have totally forgotten the big picture of who God is, who they are, and why you're actually here. And you've been just a few degrees off for a long time, and God is saying today is the day that you correct the course. Today is the day to remember, because it is in our nature to forget, especially when we get comfortable like we are in this country, 
Today is the day to remember and repent, to let go of distractions that are preventing you and wake up to the complacency that has lulled you to sleep. It is the fallenness of our humanity that causes us to forget when we become comfortable and then begin to drift. It is in the fallenness of our humanity to be distracted by, by lesser things, but God's kindness so lovingly draws us back into the best thing, back toward God. And he says, remember from where you have fallen and return to that place. If you've been so into the things of the world, maybe just good things, but not the best thing, you're always only going to reap corruption. But sowing to the Spirit will reap everlasting life. And as we've been praying, God keeps showing us that for many of us, there is this cloud of fear that is darkening our hearts and preventing us, is causing resistance in us. There is fear. Listen, just let this, let this like speak to you and just don't shut your heart off, your eyes, your ears off right now. Just say, Lord, is that me? Lord, is that me? God is out for your good. And he's been showing us fear. Man, fear is preventing so many people from walking into what God has. Fear of the unknown. Fear of a life of faith. Even fear of God's spirit. It's fear that keeps your heart closed to fully receiving the love of the Father. Fear that's holding you back from receiving the fullness of what God wants to do in your life. Fear is keeping eyes darkened to seeing how powerful you are because the God of all power is living inside of you. It's fear that's causing you to settle for the east bank of the Jordan like the, the half-tribe of Manasseh when right over the river God has a whole promised land of abundant life flowing with milk and honey waiting for you. But the journey through the river is too scary. The idea of potential giants over there is too much. And so you have settled for an apathetic life instead of an abundant life. It was fear that caused the rest of the disciples to stay in the boat when Peter alone got off and started walking on water to Jesus. And then it was fear that caused Peter to start sinking when he saw the waves. Fear is the great enemy of faith. But church, God has not given you a spirit of fear. He has given you a spirit of power. I know it feels safe, and it appears that fear is keeping you from danger. But you're not being prevented from danger. You're being prevented from greatness. You're being kept from living in the promised land and true, full, abundant life. You're wearing a seatbelt and it feels like it's keeping you safe, but it's actually just a chain keeping you in bondage. And fear may have kept you in your life from doing some stupid things. I know it has for me, but that's not this kind of fear. Fear toward God will never keep you safe. It will keep you from something, It'll keep you from the promised land. It'll keep you from the abundant life. It'll keep you from the fullness and plan of God. It'll keep you, all right? It'll keep you trapped, though. Fear is not the safeguard. Fear is the bondage. God is the safeguard. He was intended to be our safeguard. And God wants to set people free today if you're willing to let him. So then let love in, which drives out fear. The remedy for fear is love and trust. It is the love of God that drives out fear. So friend, I'm begging you by the mercy of God, open your heart today. Let the God of love come in. Let your walls down. Allow yourself to be vulnerable to receive the love of God so we could drive out fear and trust. 
Stepping out of fear requires stepping into love and surrender and trust. That's why God told Joshua and the children of Israel when they were standing there afraid, he said, don't be afraid. They had to step in. They had to step in and trust. And as they did that, as they trusted, fear was like left on the other side of the bank with the half-tribe of Manasseh. The good news is our Heavenly Father is trustworthy. But what's going to happen, Lord, if I surrender and just like trust you with everything? I'll tell, you don't even have to ask him. I'll tell you what's going to happen. Exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think is what's going to happen. Because your trustworthy Father is the one that you are surrendering to. And some of us are just outright believing lies today. You're believing a false narrative that I spoke of earlier that has been gradually creating a different reality. And the enemy's been whispering it for years. False ideas about how God really thinks and feels towards you. False ideas about who you really are in his sight. False ideas about what your life, what your gifts, what your purpose are really about. False ideas about what will actually happen if you surrender and just say, Lord, here I am. I don't want my plans. I want your plans. You've been flooded with thoughts contrary to what God says about who he is, who you are, and about your life. And right now, God's bringing some of those things to your remembrance. Right now, they're coming into your mind, and they're a little bit off. And those are lies, and lies need to be fought with truth. So pray, Lord, speak truth. Combat lies with truth. But don't just pray, participate, right? And partner with God in driving out those lies. Is there an avenue that's bringing in those lies? You got to shut that off. You got to cut that off. Delete your social media apps for a little while. Stop watching those shows and that newscast for a while. Stop hanging out with that person. Is there a a radio show or a a music artist you keep listening to? It's a a pathway for lies maybe? Just shut it off for a while. Start putting on uh, worship music and and good audio tapes that are going to speak truth in you. Buy a book for a change. Right? Turn off your phone and buy a book for a change. Let some truth come back into your life. And lastly, there's some here today who have been making little compromises. Little sins, and it's no big deal, right? Problem is, little things accumulate to make a big thing. And these little sins have built a mountain of separation between you and God. And you know what they are. Today, repentance can be the most beautiful word that you have ever heard because repentance always brings refreshment. Repentance always brings refreshment. Don't listen to the lie that it's not really that big of a deal. Listen, if it's in your mind, in your conscience right now, chances are it's kind of a big deal to God. That's why it's there right now. God lovingly invites you to repent from that little or big thing. I believe that God is wanting to change the landscape of our community. And the reality is God uses people like us to do it. Just normal blue-collar workers, students, business owners, ex-addicts, people who have been divorced and discouraged. He uses people like us to do his work. People who have never done anything with their life, been coming to church for 30 years. He wakes them up and uses people like you 
to do his work and to change the spiritual landscape of places. And right now, the eyes of the Lord are scanning to and fro across the whole earth, looking for someone to show himself mighty on their behalf. And right now, I believe God is scanning this room, Reality Ventura. His eyes are scanning this room, looking for somebody saying, who's with me? Who's available? Who's available? Don't waste your life. You don't need to be trained more. You don't need more experience. You don't need to hear another sermon about stepping out in faith or another uh, encouragement about returning to your first love. Today's the day. Today is the day. You need to remember. You need to repent. You need to surrender and trust. And it's today. It's today. It's today. Listen, the prayer team is going to be up here on the right and the left. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. The prayer team is going to be up here on the right and the left. Listen. They are here to pray with you. All you got to do is come up to them and say, listen, I need help. I need help. I need my eyes to be open. I've been complacent. I've been in sin. I've forgotten. I've just been lazy. I'm not in sin. I'm just lazy. Whatever it is, the prayer team's up here. They want to pray with you. What's the worst thing that could happen? What's the worst thing that can happen? Oh, I don't feel weird because people see me go up there. Who cares? Jesus hung on a cross. He probably felt weird too when everybody was looking at him. The prayer team is up here. They want to pray with you today is the day, guys. Don't waste another day. You have power. Oh, that God would light up our hearts so that we could remember the immeasurable greatness of the power that is already at work in us for our good, for God's glory, and for the benefit of every single person around us. Amen? Amen. Father, we need the reality of these truths to be enlightened in our hearts. We need you to flood us with light so that we can remember what is already true. Many of us have forgotten, Lord. Many of us have forgotten. We've lost track. We've lost sight. We've been consumed with the little, shiny, fun things of the earth. Good things, but not the best thing. We've forgotten the best thing, Lord, and we're sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. I repent today. I turn from the lesser things. I turn from the distractions that consume my heart and my mind. I consume from just vegging, watching just shows and flipping through Instagram. I repent from that. Turn back to the best thing, Lord. Turn back to you, the better one. The better one, repentance is always for my good. It is always for our good. I'm standing right now. I'm, if I was sitting, I'm standing right now to say, Lord, here I am. If you need to turn back to God today in some way, you've been a few degrees off or a lot of degrees off, and you want to say, Lord, here I am, I just want to start by making myself available. I just want to start by, by laying down my plans And my agenda and my, my gifts and my giftedness and my success and my money. I just want to start by surrendering, Lord. If you're with me, church, and wanting to surrender in that way, would you just stand with me? I don't care if it's one person or a hundred people. Would you just stand with me, though? Let's put our hands up like we were surrendering to somebody. Lord, take what you want because we know that whatever you take, that it's not for our good right now. So we lay everything on the altar. We put it out there. We lay it on the altar. 
It's like consuming fire. Come and burn up whatever's not for me, best, best for me in this season right now. I trust that you'll give back to me everything that is right and good. I surrender. I repent. Lord, we need your help. We need your help today. We are returning to you. Guys, let's let the, the lyrics of these songs in this set right here put words to what is happening in our hearts. Your brunch date can wait. Running errands can wait. Let's stay, sit here. Let's allow God to sink these things deep truth. This is the time now that we respond. God just spoke to you. You standing was the beginning of your response. But now let's respond. We've been listening. Now let's respond to God. I would encourage you to come and receive prayer. Like, I just prayed a very general prayer. You can get very specific prayer from the, incur- or the, the prayer team over here. Communion is here if you want to remember what Christ has done. The carpets are here for us to take a posture of surrender and worship to God. In the Old Testament, we see every time that they worshiped, they were actually laying prostrate on their faces, remembering, I, I'm, I'm not actually anything. I don't know anything. You are God. You are sovereign. And so we look to you now, Lord. We trust you. We return our hearts to you, God. We return our hearts to you.